Would you rather see Dorothy stay in Oz and just live her life there or go back to Kansas and live on a farm? I don't know, man. I read I read the entire Wicked series. Like the politics in Oz are, are it's pretty messy. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here at Cinenation, we love delving into genre and discussing genre history, tropes, and kind of dissecting how these stories are told. And each month we dive into a genre of, of some kind. Last month we did theater movies. And this month, uh, for July, uh, we were kind of thinking of like what really works for summer in July. And the genre we kind of came up with was coming-of-age movies. And there's so many coming of age movies out there uh, for the list that we created for this episode. It's our biggest list by far, I think. But anyway, we're covering coming, coming of age movies today. We're going to be doing kind of a brief overview. And so, Thomas, when you think of coming of age movies, like what comes to mind? I mean, some of my like favorites pop up. We've we've covered some of them recently. Um yeah. So they're not necessarily on this list, but like The Last Picture Show is one that, that pops to my mind. Uh, Days Confused is one that comes to mind. And and it, it usually, almost all the ones that I like kind of have to do with like a like a little bit of a disillusionment with growing up. Definitely Last Picture Show is just like recognizing the just like crushing darkness of adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> but another one I really love is Almost Famous, which is not, it's it's about disillusionment, but not like really losing your spark just realizing that the things that you maybe like idolized when you were a kid aren't as like important to you as you get older um that that's one of my favorites and that was a movie that i kind of stumbled onto as i was like 14 15 and so it was one of those i think a lot of whatever like coming of age movie speaks to you is usually one that you found when you were that age like you can still appreciate ones when you're older but i think the ones that are really gonna like stick with you are the ones that hit you when you were when it like really spoke to you that's a valid point because american graffiti i mean i'm sorry uh almost famous was like that and american graffiti i jumped ahead uh almost famous is one I, I saw when i was in high school like late one night i think it was like at like 11 o'clock in the, in the evening and my mom was just like hey there's this movie on like hbo that you might like it's uh, like it's this guy who's like a who's it's this kid who's a reporter or was a, a rolling stones reporter and i was like oh sure let me turn that on because like that's how like a lot a lot of stuff would happen especially on holidays where like i would be up late my mom where my mom and i are both like night owls and we'd be in separate rooms and i would just hear like hey there's this movie on uh hbo it's like midnight i'm like cool let me turn this <laughs> on and watch for two hours when well, i should be going to bed yeah almost famous was funny when when my sister graduated high school my mom came up with this idea that like what I should give her for a graduation present just to get like a like a milk crate and fill it with DVDs of rom-coms because my sister loved rom-coms. We've talked about this before. And so she sent me she like like get, she gave me some money and I had some some of my like own money. I was like 14 and she was like, go to Walmart and just pick out like every rom-com you can find. We're going to fill this crate up and give it to her and that's going to be your gift to her. So I was like, yeah. awesome. So I'm going, I'm just grabbing stuff off the shelf. And here's this movie with Kate Hudson. And Kate Hudson is like queen of the rom-com. It's like 20, it's 2006. Like my uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is like one of my sister's favorite movies. So I grabbed that one and I put them all in this crate. I gave it to her for graduation. She goes off to college and she comes back at like Christmas 
and it's like i tried watching this movie and it was awful you can have it <laughs> and like gave me the dvd and i was like all right i'll watch it and like it just like boom it became like i watched yeah. it like on a monthly basis for like a yeah. year after that that was your who album where you put on the candles and yeah. listen to it right <laughs> that was That's my tommy was. Yeah. <laughs> that was your tommy <laughs> So yeah, that's what we think of with coming of age movies, and we're not we're not talking about Almost Famous. I, this is what Almost Famous is what I thought about doing, but it felt like there were some more there were some other films that we could discuss that maybe aren't as talked about or that kind of established the genre, the genre, the genre tropes in some way. Mm. Um, I feel like Almost Famous is going to get mentioned at the end of this of like last mentions. So coming of age movies really don't take off until like the 1950s. There's certain things that are kind of like early examples. Like I, would you count Wizard of Oz as a coming of age movie? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's about maturing and, and learning yeah. things about the world. And I, I think a lot of coming of age movies involve viewing the adults in your life in a different light. A lot mm-hmm. of these coming of age movies touch on like coming to recognize the, the older figures around you in a different way. And yeah. that, I mean, if that is the heart of Wizard of Oz, for sure, is like all these all these men in her life, like seeing their flaws and seeing their strengths and all of that. And then also the importance of like being home. And you could argue now is that is that like a positive thing of like just staying home and being there and living your life there, going out and exploring. That's that's kind of the debate of Oz. That Would, would you rather see Dorothy stay in Oz and just live her life there or go back to Kansas and live on a farm? Like, oh man, I read I read the entire Wicked series. Like the politics in Oz are, are <laughs> it's pretty messy. So you know, I don't know if she'd be if she'd have been happy there. If she'd have been great. Those books go very deep into the, the political uh, machinations of the land of Oz. Anyway, on, keep, we keep going to coming of age instead of tangents like this. Um, but yeah, so the fifties are kind of where it starts to take off. You're seeing film a lot of them early on, like say Blackboard Jungle, which came out in 1955 they're dealing with more like kind of juvenile delinquents and in some cases, lower class characters. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it hasn't really defined itself. And then rebel without a cause comes out in 1955 with James Dane and rebel without a cause is the first film to really examine growing up in like a middle-class society where, all the characters are, are two of your three main characters are like in like kind of a traditional family setup, basically with with the mother, father, and some maybe some some siblings. But Rebel Without Cause, it's about this young man Jim Stark, played by James Dean, who moves to this town with his family, and he's kind of a troublemaker. Basically, his parents they move from town to town ever ever so often because Jim is constantly getting in trouble. And so Jim arrives in this town, like I think one of his first nights before even school starts, he gets drunk and gets arrested. And the opening sequence kind of sets up the three main characters, Jim played by James Dean, Judy played by Natalie Wood, and then Plato, who's played by Salmonio. And all three of these characters are kind of these three troubled youths who all have issues with their parents. With Plato, he his parents are absent from his life. Judy kind of has these weird kind of relationships with her her parents like there, there's a weird kind of sexual tension between her and her father which I don't really get this movie's kind of odd 
<laughs> like Rebel Without Cause has an odd tone to it. And yeah. then you have and then you have Jim who is essentially like upset of how what his father has become and how his father has kind of become like emasculated by his mother. And there's weird things of just like if he just stood up to her one time, like then it would be good. Like then then I would like finally believe in my father again. So it's these kind of weird Also, I'm sorry. I don't like to hold actors like other portrayals against him there's this whole thing on the internet of it's like oh actors in other movies like chris evans is always going to be captain america but like his dad is thurston howell from gilligan's <laughs> island like it just can't take him seriously and and the cop in this movie is also the chief from get smart like those are two shows that i watched all the time as a kid and that, yeah. that um, um, unfortunately that <laughs> That has painted my view of this movie a little bit. It's it's interesting because I didn't really love it the first time I watched it, and it, it it's it, it hasn't aged wonderfully. But what makes it so interesting is it's it's his oddness. Mm. I think I think the one thing about because it's like it's at a point where like the fifth it's like it's right at a point where Dean's coming up, Brando's coming up with like uh the wild one where he's in the motor on the motorcycle. And then you have like Elvis about to hit pop culture, like yeah, basically masculinity is kind of changing in pop culture at this point, and everything's kind of becoming younger. And the, and adults don't really understand what's happening to kids. Like rock and roll music is killing, is like turning them bad, and things like this. And it's the movies that are kind of promoting this juvenile delinquency. And Rebel Without Cause is kind of the first one to try to tackle like what kids are feeling. And I think that's why it's important is because a lot of people, teens weren't having movies really made for them like this. Like I, I, I was, when reading Natalie Woods, when re researching like Natalie Wood for this, she was talking about how her parents, especially her mother was kind of in control of her career. And she read the script from Rebel Without Cause and didn't want her to make it because it made parents look bad. Mm -hmm. and natalie wood's like no, no 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 this is how i'm feeling right now in my life i want to like this is the one i want to make yeah and i mean it, it's it and it does present a more complicated idea of like teens and, and especially masculinity i mean it's yeah the the guys all wear their leather jackets and drive their cars and there's and have their switchblades but they also just the idea of like how much time they spend on their hair or the fact that like james dean is not afraid to cry in front of people like was was huge it was like this weird mix of like alpha male but also like very emotionally vulnerable that you know was not men weren't allowed to show their emotions before this yeah and then you have someone like plato played by salmonia who's like it at the moment i don't know if people read it this way but when you read when you watch it now he's a gay character mm -hmm. like there's a scene where when dean when he, dean takes him home he's like oh do you want to like come inside like no one's home. I'm not that tired. You want to hang out and do some stuff? It's very like, and he's doing it in a very like, I don't say flirtatious way, but it's a very like trying to seduce Dean in a weird way. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm how he's doing I'm, it. I'm sure knowing what we know now about Hollywood at the time, I'm sure that was intentional. It was just like you, you had to, you had to, you know, it was all about subtext during the Hayes era. Yeah. But uh, they're, they're portraying it as like, oh, he doesn't have any family. It's like he just wants to be friends with someone. But like his jealousy towards Natalie Wood is like very apparent when like Dean is like trying to essentially hook up with Natalie Wood. And Plato is kind of off the side. Like, no, no, no. Like I, I saw this guy first. Like I want to be with this guy. And yeah, it's 
it was it was important at the time too because like Dean was on the rise after East of Eden, and I think this was supposed to be like just a, another like B movie picture shot in black and white. But Dean became huge with East of Eden. They changed it to where it was shot in color and became an A picture, and they shot it in CinemaScope, which was big at the time, where it's this huge kind of widescreen format that was trying to come in because TV was putting people in their homes and not going to theaters, so things like CinemaScope were invented. And so Rebel Without a Cause became this huge film, and kind of, for people, for kids in the 50s, kind of became the movie of their generation. I mean, I know some people who hate this movie. <laughs> I know uh, our, our friend... Our friend Mark, who was in the hundredth episode, we didn't show that we didn't put this out there, but Mark hates Rebel Thakas. And he just like he's like, This is the first movie I watched that he's like, I didn't get. Like I didn't like see the purpose for it. And I or right why it's important. And I would understand that. And I thought that way for for a bit, but then rewatching it this time, you can see what it's doing. And it kind of establishes the tropes that we're gonna talk about of like conflicts with parents. I would also say like sexual repression in a way with Plato's character and then also like sexual awakening in some way with like Dane and Wood kind of having a thing. I just uh, having I'm glad that we we watched Giant recently because that has really changed the way that I view Same. James Dean. I, I see what, you know, uh, Kazan was the one who kind of discovered Dean. And, and so that's why he and Brando are often kind of compared because he discovered Brando as well. And you can see, you know, Kazan loves this, like just pure untapped, like emotion in these people, you know, and that's what Brando started as. And Brando, you know, over his career molded it into something very refined. Um, sometimes perhaps a little too refined by the end of his career. But uh, I, I, I wish we, you know, it, it is a shame that he died so young because just the improvement from this movie to giant is incredible. Yeah. Um, he, he he has some really good moments in this movie, but then there's other times where you're just like, that's that's too much, man. Like yeah, when, yeah. when uh, I'm sorry, spoil. Uh, we won't we won't spoil it. You know, this is one of the the, the broad strokes episodes at the end of the film, <laughs> at the yeah, end of the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has this scene where he's like on the ground and like clutching at his father's pants, and he's like, help me, help me, and it's just, it's like, okay. All right, James, yeah. we get it. We get it. You're sad. Like, <laughs> All right, James. You know, it, it, and it's something. Like, acting takes progress. And with a, a someone like this who was just plucked up, and then it was like, boom, giant movie. Boom, giant movie. Boom, literally giant movie. And then that's the end of your career. Like, you don't have time to hone your craft as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can see why he's magnetic in this movie. But yeah. he's he's just he's very he's still very raw, I think. Yeah. And um and Giant feels much more like he's he's finally got a grip on on what he's doing. Um so it's I mean it's kind of a shame that this has become, I think, his I mean, with the jacket and you know, the yeah. the there's a statue at, at Griffith Park Observatory dedicated to this movie and to him. Like this is what he's known for, I think, but I, w- I was yeah. very impressed with Giant when we watched it a couple months ago. <laughs> I love how this just turned like, well, this is okay, but giant, giant's really. No, great. I mean, I think that's what I take away from it. it, it and, and and you know, speaking to Mark's notes, I do think, you know, the, the background of this movie was it was it was written based on a psychology book about teenagers. Like that's where it came from. And that's so, the title came from. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, you know, it was inspired by this. Like, what's up with teenagers these days? So it does kind of sometimes it feels like an adult trying to. You know, some of these movies 
feel like very authentic to what being a teenager is and obviously this movie touched on something that like a lot of kids were like oh that is what i feel like now but it does sometimes feel like this is an adult looking and like what are these kids doing these days racing fast cars and 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 so i think there, there is just something when you watch it that feels like a little bit off. And, and I think part of that is his performance when you watch yeah. it and you kind of go this, this guy, like you can see, you can see the charm, you can see the charisma, but, but if, if this was the only movie you watch, I think this is the least of, I, I think he's better in East of Eden than he is in this. Yeah. Um, so I think this is kind of like the least of his performances. So it can be kind of shocking if you watch this if you're like oh i, I kind of want to look uh, look into the legend of jane steen and this is the only one you watch you can kind of come away with it being like huh you don't want me to go no no i don't want you to go to the police there were other people why should you be the only one involved but i am involved we are all involved mom a boy a kid was killed tonight I don't see how I can get out of that by pretending that it didn't happen. Well, you know that you did the wrong thing. That's the main thing, isn't That's it? That's nothing. That's... That is absolutely nothing. Dad, you told me. You said you, you want me to tell the truth. Now, didn't you say that? You can't turn it off. Well, he's not saying that. He's saying just don't volunteer. Just tell a little white lie. You'll learn when you're older, Jim. Well, I don't think that I want to learn that way. Well, it doesn't matter anyway, because we're moving. You're not tearing me loose again. Well, this is news to me. Just why are we moving? Oh, do I have to spell you it out? You are not going to use me as an excuse again. I don't. Every time you can't face yourself, you blame it on me. That is not true. You say it's because of me. You say it's because of the neighborhood. No. You use every other phony excuse. Mom, I just once I want to do something right. And I don't want you to run away from me again. You bring up a good point with this movie about how it feels with how it feels like it's written by an adult about kids. And I agree with you completely. That was the note I wrote down when I started watching American Graffiti. Is that it feels like American Graffiti is written by someone who lived through this specific era of time for coming for this coming of age story. When Rebel Without Cause feels like adults trying to say, like, hey, how do we get to the kids and like appeal to them to make money? Mm. So American Graffiti feels like it's of that era and from a person who would be driving those cars and cruising on a Saturday night. When Rebel Without Cause is like probably written by the parents who are trying to understand their kids. So you had never seen American Graffiti before this. Yep, that's correct. Can you tell us a little bit about it, like what it's about, but then also your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, so it's the it's the last night of like summer. I'm guessing is yeah because yeah. they're they're talking about school starting like next week. Um, yeah, so it's the last night of summer in this town in like a kind of s- small town in in California, and it's about a group of friends who are mostly um, just graduated high school, just spending the night out on the strip, driving around in cars, and two of them are supposed to go off to college the next day. And the rest are, are going to stay in this town. And yeah. it's just kind of about, you know, the hijinks. What what happens when you're just driving around town with, with nothing planned? Yeah. And and you have you, the two guys who are, who are the college kids are played by Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfuss. And then you have kind of the, the drag racer who's kind of this like James Dean surrogate. 
Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll we'll discuss that a little bit, I think, in here. And then you have kind of the nerdy character as well, who's the uh, can't get the girls and like drives it like a, uh, a like a Vespa or whatever. Like mm-hmm. he drives like a motor, like a he's just like, oh, yeah, he didn't have a car. So anyway, I've always loved this movie. So, Thomas, what were your thoughts on American Graffiti? I really enjoyed it. It was really fun, man. I, I you know, I, I love Days Confused and I think Days Confused is a is a almost like a sequel it's it's american graffiti in a a different time american graffiti is is set in the 1950s uh days confused is set in the 70s but it's just about like cruising around with your friends which feels the most realistic to my high school experience to like any movies that are out there that's that's what we did you know it's funny yesterday i was I, i was driving i had to go pick up some furniture from my parents house and i was driving up to my hometown and I drove through it. I had a song playing on the, on my iPod. And I realized that like from one end of town to the other end of town only took one song. And I was like, how did I ever listen to music as a teenager? Cause this was like, <laughs> that was my excuse was just like getting driving around town and listening to music. But like, like one song for the whole town. Like, how did I ever get, how did I ever listen to anything? <laughs> yeah. That's what, I mean, that's literally this, this movie is about like fifties car culture and you literally even more so than days confused. I think you, you had the drive-ins um, for like burgers and stuff. And then you just like drove up and down the main strip of the town. Yeah. And that was what everybody did. And you kind of hopped around the cars and, uh, and hung out with your friends who had cars. Like if you didn't have a car, you'd hop from one to the other kind of thing. Where you have John Milner, who's kind of the, the car car dude where he he's uh he, he says at one point he's just like yeah the strip's getting smaller and milner is kind of this character where he's like of a different air so that so that's what's happened it's it's a weird thing where it's like it feels like the 50s but it's right at the tail end of kind of that era because it takes place in 1962 because the whole tagline of the movie was like where were you in 1962 because it's right before kennedy gets shot a year before that and kind of before Vietnam War is like taken over the culture, which is why and there's there's ending titles to this movie that are kind of like can be a little jarring if you don't know they're coming. Yeah. Yeah. Like where it's just like this happens. This Pretty ha- much everybody's dead. <laughs> yeah. Two, well, so one one person's dead. One person goes to Vietnam and gets uh, lost or get, basically it goes missing in action. And then one's a writer, and then one's an insurance like agent. Uh, they delve more into that into the sequel, more American Graffiti. Yeah, American Graffiti kind of establishes. I don't know if it was the first one to do this, but it established. I feel like it establishes the like the decision to go to college. Mm-hmm. Like it comes out in 1973, and you have the Richard Dreyfus character. You have Richard Dreyfus, who's who's Kurt and Ron Howard, who's Steve and Kurt and Steve are going off to school. But at the beginning of the movie, Kurt is having second thoughts about going when Steve is like, no, we're going, man, like we're going to college. I'm breaking up with my girlfriend so that we can have fun in college. And like, you're going to see kind of these two characters, like maybe start to have different views of it because Steve is still kind of living in the moment of the town when Kurt is as well. But like, He's he's reflecting on it, if that makes sense. Listen, uh, I don't think I'm going to be going tomorrow. Come on, what are you talking about? Well, I was thinking I could wait a year, you know, go to city for a while. You chicken thing. Oh, wait a minute. After all we went through to get accepted, 
We're finally getting out of this turkey town, and now you want to crawl back into your cell, right? You want to end up like John? You just can't stay 17 forever. Just, You've got to get I that need, through your head. I just need some time. I had to go talk to Lori. Now take it. Take it. Now we're leaving in the morning, all right? We're leaving in the morning. I love this movie. Like we're talking about it has this kind of cruising culture and it also it adds into I think one big part of it becomes important. Well, last picture show does as well, but like the importance of a soundtrack mm-hmm. with we were, we were talking about music of like how did I listen to music growing up in the small town when like music can kind of date a movie in a good way and in a bad way. But American Graffiti does it in a good way because it's kind of a timestamp of that era yeah and it's just constant it never feels like a needle drop because it's no it's more it's all diegetic it's all like coming from car speakers and it's just always there um but yeah it it absolutely if you live through that period it drops you right back there if you didn't live through that period you still have a like we all know kind of the music of that era even if you don't listen to like doo-wop and that sort of thing it's it's still you're aware of it and it really helps to like build out that world um you know Mm -hmm. it's it's it was it. I I read it was one of like the most profitable movies of all time because it was shot for like seven hundred grand and yeah. netted like one hundred fifty million or something like that. It was crazy. Yeah. So I mean, all all you need is like literally all you really had to do is like pay for those cars, all those cars, and pay for all that music, and boom, you've got your setting. Like that is, and I mean, a lot of California towns still to this day kind of look like the fifties because that's when most of California was like built. So yeah, it, it's it's really effective in like dropping you right back in that period, and you're like, yeah, this is it, I'm here, and that's exactly what we've talked about. Days Confused does it. It is mm-hmm. of that time. It's not about that time. Like you're saying, it's not used as like a needle drop. It's it's you. Lucas has said it in one of the videos of how he used music as sound effects and sound effects to create drama, which is the opposite of what you usually do. Is you use like a score to build tension, to build drama and sound effects just a part of the world. And he kind of flip flips it. Mm-hmm. And so when he takes out the music and scenes, that's when like there's tension in the scene. And the other thing too, you're talking about just like cruising around. It's one of these movies where like, it's a coming of age film with very low stakes. Yeah. And so you never feel like because the stakes are low, you never feel like you're getting hit over the head with the lessons that everybody's learning as much yeah. as something like rebel without a cause, but everybody does learn like really good. Like, like there's, there's a lot of good character growth and there's yeah. a lot of great lessons. I think the, the character in, when, in the hot rod is, yeah, um, John, John has one of the best kind of arcs in that because he is like hitting on some, he's all about just cruising the strip racing and like hitting on girls and he's hitting on some girls and says like, Hey, why don't you come, come get in my car? And so this, uh, like really young, like 13 year old girl, comes and gets in and she's like okay and she comes and hops in his car and he's like disgusted because and i mean this is going like way deep into it but i think it's that kind of thing where he's someone who views like women as objects and so like he doesn't even feel the need to be around a a 12 year old girl because he he can't hook up with her and and by the end of the movie like they become very good friends and he like very obviously cares about her as a person and and you know it's about expanding your horizons and like figuring out how to relate to people because especially as a teenager it can be kind of hard to relate to people 
and i yeah. think that's a it, and it never like hits you over the head with like this guy hates women and like he only views them as like sex objects and, and it, it like it never hits you over the head with any of that but by the end of the movie you can see a very obvious growth in this person yeah and it's he, he brings a good point with that because then you the, the flip side is the harrison ford character mm-hmm. uh who is the dude who's coming into town to like to face john in a drag race and every time you see his character he has a different woman in there a different mm-hmm. girl like every yeah. time and you're just like is he just like hot like dropping him off like every hour if they're like not like pleasing yeah, him in some way he's like the bizarro where like we come to see him as like the dark side of yeah. of john like he and then he ends up uh crashing his car in the end and john like has this moment where he's like that's that could my life could go that way yeah i need to i need to change i need to make some changes also love this i i I read Uh this i was doing some research i did i did some independent research like i think everybody knows everybody knows harrison ford was was coppola's carpenter and um and and got into this movie through that way but i love this uh they offered him 450 dollars for a week's worth of shooting and he said i can make more doing carpentry work no thank you so then they said how about 500 and he said yeah so somewhere within that 50 dollar <laughs> range was what he was making a week doing carpentry work but then he said i'm not cutting my hair for like a 60s style so they were like all right here's a cowboy hat uh yeah i read like apparently like it was because they they went through multiple locations because apparently like they, they were in uh one city in california they were there uh a key member of production got arrested for growing marijuana and the city was upset with how it was like hurting local businesses. They they, they told them they could, they had to leave. They went to a different city. But at one point, just the weird stories. With spe- speaking of Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford got thrown out of the hotel they were staying at because they were so rowdy. So it was Paula Matt who plays John Milner was sent to a hospital after allergic reaction to walnuts. Apparently, Lamatt and Ford and Bo Hopkins who plays one of the the like kind of yeah the pharaohs the pharaohs uh they were claimed to be drunk most nights and every weekend and had conducted climbing competitions to the top of the local holiday inn sign where they were staying <laughs> one actor set fire to lucas's motel room and then lamat also threw richard dreyfus into a swimming pool at the hotel gashing dreyfus's forehead on the day before he was due to have close-ups filmed so this this is like the the dark side of when um when Linklater famously like made the whole cast stay in a hotel and hang out with each other. And and from there aren't really any stories of anything going wrong in that, in that one, but, uh, (laughs) well, this is just like, this is the way it could go. This is the way they're having fun, but like everyone's just doing like, well, and that would have been like the, the drinking and the, and the carrying on would have been during the day. Cause this movie was like almost entirely night shoots, right? All at night. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Like, I mean, what's your cover set? Like, what's like... You just... Harrison Ford just out climbing the Holiday Inn at the, like, <laughs> middle of the day, <laughs> just wasted. But, yeah, they... But, so, you're talking about um, the amount they would have lost. Coppola said he was always upset he didn't pay for this movie himself because he would have made, like, $30 million, which is the equivalent of $173 million today. Just on, like, production. Just on box office. The movie ended up grossing, like almost $400, 400 million dollars in box office gross and home video sales. But I do think this is something we'll see a lot in these movies is a studios often underestimate the power of like really touching on a teenage audience. It's something they're always like trying to to get, but whenever a movie comes along that that does it really well, the studios are always like, "I don't know. I don't know if the teens are really going to respond to that." And then and then it does. 
I feel like it's always this flip side. You get these teen movies that they're like the the kids are gonna love this, and then it, and then they flop, and and then you'll get movies like this where the studio was con- from everything you read, the studio was constantly like, "What is this? We have no idea what this is. Yeah. What are we supposed to do with this?" And then it was it was huge. Yeah, it was like basically they tried to like they basically said, we're gonna recut it with someone else because we don't like this. But Godfather came out or won the Oscar for Best Picture, and they're like, well, crap, now we have to listen to what Luke, or what Coppola says, because Coppola's the producer of this, and he's basically saying, look, we're sticking with what Lucas does. Did you have any favorite scenes from this movie? that like?" I, I, I kind of loved all the, the stuff with Richard Dreyfuss and the Pharaohs. It was yeah. such a funny little like branch for his character to go in. Like They, they originally approach him because he's just sitting, he's sitting on the car of one of the Pharaohs on the hood, and he's dented yeah. it, so then they're like, you got to come with us. And it turns into this thing where by the end of the by the end of like the night, they're like begging him to be in the gang. And he's like, I don't know, guys, I might go to college tomorrow. And they're like, no, come on. Come on. Like, you have so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can see a lot of because uh, this movie was like, like Happy Days, like came out of this in, in a way. It, like, a lot of Happy Days you can see inspired by this movie. And like that, there's a lot of the Fonz in the John Milner character. But I think there's a lot of the Fonz in Bo Hopkins character. He's like the leader of this gang. And he's this greaser and you'd think he's scary. And by the end of the movie, he's just like a big softy kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, and the, they have this like running gag where they keep threatening to like drag him behind their car. <laughs> and then by the end, they're all best buds. Um, well, I'm just like, he's like, he's like, do you know this guy? He goes, yeah, we know that guy. We killed him last night. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that whole sequence is really fun. And that's I, 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 Richard Dreyfuss really thrives in like being, you know uncomfortable like that's yeah, a yeah. sweet spot is like being somewhere he shouldn't kind of thing and uh and so he's really fun in that and then i love the the wolfman jack sequences is, is a lot of fun and wolfman yeah. jack is is awesome in it kind of as yeah. the, the mentor role who really helps to like change kurt's mind yeah it's a great scene it's it's yeah. the moments that really work are these kind of like quiet moments with kurt where it's like when he's watching wolfman jack and the like doing the radio broadcast or when he's like listening, when he's like waiting for the phone call at the end at the drive-in, like he, or mm-hmm. at the drive-through, like he just his scene, his stuff is probably the best stuff. Mm. And he's not back in the sequel, more American Graffiti. That's the the big kicker is that Kurt Spielberg Spielberg had already snapped him up at that point. Yeah, Drive-ins got too big at that point, apparently. Yeah, this is one of those, I love. I love when you look into the film, perhaps the way everyone like shared everybody else around. Like De Palma was like Scorsese, you got to look at this De Niro guy, and and it just all like mixes around like that. Yeah. And then uh, and then Lucas has Dreyfus and Spielberg. Like he becomes the Spielberg like stand-in, like for yeah. you know the first couple of movies of Spielberg's big career. So is it in the pantheon of Days and Confused and like Last Picture Show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's it's great. It. You know, like we said, I think I think low stakes are key here. I think yeah, there's this weird thing when you are a teenager, everything feels so heightened, but it's not for the most part. Like you know, something as I think that's the key is like when when you're older and you're writing these movies about being a teenager, you think like oh you got to have stakes because movies have to have stakes. Yeah, and what you forget is like just how important like if you're if you're john in this movie finding out that someone in the town has a faster car than you just how important that is to you when you're a teenager like that is huge that is everything so you don't need you know like if we're talking rebel without a cause you don't need gunfights with the cops and driving off of a cliff like just just needing to beat that guy on the strip tonight like that 
that is everything when you're a teenager. So in the stakes are already so heightened when you're that age that like it, I think that the key to really making an authentic teen movie is like keeping the stakes low because you just feel everything so much more when you're a teenager. Well, that's just a dedication, man. What I can do is I relay it. It'll be on tomorrow or Tuesday. No, no, no. See, this is very important. You see, I may be leaving town tomorrow, and it's very important that I... Damn it, that I reach this girl right now. You don't know whether you're going to leave town or not? Well, I'm supposed to go to college back east tomorrow. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go. I don't know. Wait a minute. Have a popsicle. <laughs> Have a pop. No. Huh? No, thanks. Sit down a minute. It's early in the morning. Damn. I can't talk for the wolf man, but I can tell you one thing. If the wolf man was here, he'd say, get your ass in gear. The wolf man comes in here occasionally, bringing tapes, you know, to check up on me and whatnot. Yeah. And the places he talks about that he's been, the things he's seen. There's a great, big, beautiful world out there. And here I sit, sucking on popsicles. Wanting to leave? I'm not a young man anymore. And the wolf man gave me my start in the business. And I like it. I tell you what. If I can possibly do it tonight, I'll try to relay this dedication in and get it on the air for you later on. That would be terrific. Really. But anyway, moving on to the next film. Horror enters the coming-of-age genre with Carrie. So can you tell us a little bit about Carrie? Brief summary. Yeah, so Carrie's based on a Stephen King novel. It was kind of his, like, the, the, the novel that, like, really made him and established him as, like, yeah. a horror king. Uh, but it's Sissy Spacek as this teenager. She's very sheltered. Her mom is, is uh, super Christian uh and so she hasn't like educated her on puberty basically and it opens with carrie has her first period in the school locker room and all the girls tease her about it and every all the other girls get in trouble for it and so then it starts this thing they're like we got in trouble because of carrie so we're gonna get back at her and i assume it's now iconic scene she they play a prank on her where they elect her homecoming queen and dump a bucket of pig's blood over her head but what they don't realize is along with uh hitting puberty she has developed telekinesis and she uses it to murder everyone in the school uh <laughs> so yeah you know it's, it's a very very overt metaphor for uh puberty i think yeah um, yeah so yeah definitely like a coming of age movie definitely about the the it turns the idea of going through puberty and becoming adult into something terrifying which yeah. I'm sure is, I mean, that's the thing. It, it, like we were talking about, the, everything's heightened when you're a teenager. It is terrifying. Yeah. So it, it really, it uses the like lens of horror to show exactly what it feels like to be in that, to be that age and to be bullied and all of that. And it just kind of heightens it to, you know, an absurd level. And how do you feel about De Palma there, Thomas? I mean, De Palma, De Palma is a is a for better or for worse. De Palma is is a director who just goes for it. Yeah, and and this movie is has some like really strange stuff to it. It's the score is like really like beautiful. Yeah, and then it'll just like cut to like basically psycho strings every once in a while. It'll just be like this really like 
lighthearted score and then it'll just like cut yeah and then it's like terrifying um and then he just does stuff like i mean he shoots most of the the carry murdering everyone is just shot in split screen yeah so yeah he's he's you know another we just talked about lucas he's another film brat um and this is definitely like his style and he's he can't yeah. I think he kind of came to refine it a little bit later on in his career, and then it, it kind of got a little out of control after that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, he, he's always someone who is like, you watch it and you're like, this is this is De Palma. Like that's that's just kind of his thing. And I and Car- and Carrie is the one that kind of put him on the map in terms of like box office. Like it made yeah. it was a huge success. Yeah, and it's a I mean it's a pretty small movie. You know, mostly unknown actors. Um, it's not huge in scope or anything. Um. And it's not, I mean, as, as far as a horror movie goes, it's pretty slow burn. Like, nothing, it, is. it just kind of feels like a teen movie until that bucket of blood is dumped on her head. And then it's like, boom, horror movie. And there's there's nothing leading up to it. There's no jump scares or anything, like, leading no. up to it. It's more just this, like, I mean, her mother, who's played by Piper Laurie, is, like, very just, like, maybe it gets crazier at the end of it after the blood, after the, the prom scene happens. Yeah, it's like no one no one talks about anything in between Carrie I, the opening and then the 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 dance sequence when blood's poured on her. Like there's mm-hmm. no, no one talks yeah, about Yeah, it's, it's in just kind of played like a high school movie then. She's yeah. you know, she's shy. She's got this teacher who's like trying to pull her out of her shell. She's this this boy has asked her out to prom. Her mom's against it, but this teacher is like really trying to encourage her. It's yeah, it, it it's it's very much just kind of a high school movie and then yeah. it's like boom high school is is horrifying so so what tropes kind of pop up in this movie like you have the parental conflict with the with the mother yeah you know it's interesting i i, I watched uh, a couple of these today um and my girlfriend was was kind of coming in and out and she made a note she was like you know i've never noticed before but a lot of coming of age movies are either don't have parents involved whatsoever or very much reliant on your relationship with your parents. Like American graffiti, yeah. we don't see anybody's parents until the very end when yeah. someone, when, well, yeah. Um, but this, but Carrie is very much about her relationship with her mother. And, and this idea that like, if her mother had let her grow up like a, like a normal girl, none yeah. of this would have happened. You know, she's, she's constantly asking her mom, just, just let me be like everyone else. And her mom refuses. But what the kids at school don't, the kids at school just think she's strange. They don't realize that it's her mom holding her back. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it touches on kind of this idea of, of like the popular kids. I think it's one of the first movies that we see in this trope really establish like the, the divide between the cool yeah. kids and the not cool kids, which is going to be something that, that becomes huge in this genre later on. Yeah. And, and cause like with American graffiti real quick, back to that. Cause I didn't bring it up. It's like the, 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 div- like there's no divide. Like you, mm-hmm. you have this nerdy guy who's like good friends with this, like cool, like drag racer basically. Yeah. But with this, it's like, there is a, there is a class structure to the high school system. And Carrie's the one that's really showing that. I'm going mama. Things are gonna change around here. Which? That's Satan's power. It's nothing to do with Satan, Mama. It's me. Me. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. Satan is clever. Mama, I'm not the only one. 
Other people can do it. I read about it. Oh, you poor child. Don't you know? He doesn't let you know he's working through you. I know. He ended your father and carried him off. He ran away, Mama. The devil tempted him. He ran away with a woman, Mama. Everybody knows that. You must renounce this power. You must give it up. You must never use it. I'm going. You can't stop me. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Our last film of the 70s we're going to talk about is Breaking Away. And Breaking Away is about these four young boys who have graduated high school. It's the end of the summer, also kind of like American Graffiti. And they live in a college town. And this is a, one of the few movies that I think tackles the, the world of a college town, especially from like the town, like the townies perspective. So all four of these guys are townies and they're all like, they have kind of no purpose in life. And they're seeing these, they're bullied by the, by the college students. They call them cutters because in this city in Bloomington, Indiana, where they're at is that the, their, their fathers or their, the previous generations of their town were like were stonecutters and worked in the quarries and in like their limestone industry. And so the students make fun of the kids for that, even though the kids have nothing to do with that. But stars Dennis Christopher, who's also he, he's the lead character, is that he is a obsessed with Italian cycling <laughs> and like wants to be a famous cyclist. And he like speaks in an Italian accent and and his father's played by Paul Dooley, who's just like phenomenal in this role. Um, and his other friends are Dennis Quaid, who is kind of the, I guess, kind of the, like the, he's a hothead. He's the hothead. Like he's kind of the, I don't want to say James Dean, but he's kind of the, he's the cool one of the group, but also the one who's like very self-aware that like he's going nowhere. Mm. And then you have Jackie Earl Haley, who's kind of the small kid of the group who kind of gets get picked on by people. And, and he's, he's the only all- one who was actually a teenager when they shot this, right? I think so. Yeah, I, I think and, he was like I, he was like nineteen, and everybody yeah. else was like late twenties. But you yeah. can you can tell, you can see it. Yeah, and and they use it to where like he's always trying to like prove his masculinity in a way. Like he's I think he's he's the one that's always lift he's lifting weights a lot. I think, and anytime someone calls him short, no matter who it is, he's just like wants to fight or something. Mm-hmm. And then you have D- Daniel Stern, who's like kind of the. We're, he's not the uh, the oddest character of the group, but he kind of has just these like weird tendencies. They're just like he's talking in like voices occasionally, and he he, t- he talks about he's a character who doesn't have a relationship with his father, where he's kind of unfocused because he kind of blames his father for always just like saying good job no matter what he does. So anyway, it's a it's a it's an interesting film because it's a coming of age film, but also a little bit of a sports film in the last mm-hmm. third act of the film where it becomes this huge cycling competition. Anyway, Thomas, you never seen this movie. What were your thoughts on Breaking Away? Yeah, it's, it's very unique. It's a unique movie. Yeah, I've never seen is. anything like it. it. It does kind of, uh, like we talked about a lot, like the first two acts of the movie feel very low stakes. Like it, yeah. it does kind of meander in the way that that I think we both really like in teenage movies. It, it feels similar to like teenage life. They're, they go out swimming in the quarry. They've got occasional run-ins with, with the the cool college kids uh shout out hart bachner from die hard plays the like lead prep love that um (laughs) but yeah then the end just turns into this like super high stakes bicycling 
montage, which is kind of strange. It's it was a it was a little bit of a tone shift, and also I just I don't I don't know if, if someone who is aware of like Indiana culture in 1979 would tell me if it's accurate that like everyone in the town would be super into cycling. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, yes. Because like it's I don't know it's it's weird because it's supposed to be weird how much he's into it. But then when it comes time for these races, like everyone in town is into it. And this like this fraternity has a bike, a cycling team. I don't know. But all the guys in there are really fun. Like they've got really good chemistry. Uh, yeah, it was a fun movie. I don't know that it, it hits the pantheon for me of like ones I would keep coming back to. And honestly, I do think it's because the stakes get so ramped up in the end there. Like I, the, the ones that I really find easy to like come back to are the ones that are very low stakes. Okay. And, and you, you watch it for the people, you watch it for the dialogue. And, and the first half of this movie feels kind of like that. And then it goes mm. so much into like, I like rewatching it. Like I know how the race is going to go. Like I, I could see it being something I watch and then like I rewatch and then turn off before the like bike race part. I don't know. What? Well, I I I love I love the bike race actually because it I don't know it feels like what could happen is that he he does the bike race all by himself because mm-hmm. that's what his friends want him to do like yeah we can't yeah, do this it's, it's meant to be a relay but they're yeah. like hey man we'll we'll all pretend to be your relay partners <laughs> and then you just do it yourself and then they all kind of have to step up in the last minute to like help him when he gets injured. And like, didn't, like, and, and you're kind of seeing like all of them finding purpose finally in their life in some way, even just for a brief moment. I don't know. I love the race. I think Peter Yates directed it, shoots this film beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like the way he stages them, even it, the the race is great, but the way he stages them, and like the scenes when they're at the quarry, like they're like very, they're almost like paintings where they have people in the he has people in like the the foreground, the midground, the background. And they're like just wonderful still images of these characters, and I think their chemistry is is wonder is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, every everybody's really good in it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just may, maybe it's one that I need to rewatch at some point. But like, it didn't on the first watch. It didn't like hit me as like, wow, this is a classic coming of age movie. Well, I what I love about it that does that I want to bring up. We're talking about the parent, like the parental relationship, and this is very apparent in this film where it's like. It's the fa- it's not the racing that I think bothers them. It's that he's speaking in an Italian yeah, accent. Yeah, his dad's just like, "You're American. This is my cat. <laughs> my cat is American. Don't give it an Italian name." <laughs> he's like, "I don't want. I don't want this Italian food. Where's my French fries? Oh, I, want yeah, American I don't want food. zucchini. Zucchini's yeah. Italian food. Yeah." <laughs> no, Paul Dilley is great in this this movie. But what's what the what it does that I think is so interesting and different for this era, where you have this conflict of the parents of like them fighting back but you have this scene once uh dennis christopher or dennis christopher realizes like he's he's idolized this italian racing team and he's facing them in this like local competition and he realizes that they're kind of i think you're talking about like, we talked about almost famous where like you realize the things that weren't important to you are that you were important to you at a certain age aren't as important to you and in a way you've idolized a certain thing like the way uh this the character in almost famous idolizes the bands that he's he worship or that he listens to and with dennis christopher's character he's worshiping the italian cycling team and mm-hmm. then he finally meets them and they're like 
kind they're like not good people they yeah. like re- they wreck his bike and he's just kind of like oh and that's when like he kind of shifts and the father sees it and there's a beautiful scene when when Paul Dooley takes him to like some like I think like a library or someplace when he's talking about when he used to be younger and used to be like a stone cutter. And what's so unique is that this film kind of establishes the whole like the parent doesn't want the kid to become them. Like with Rebel Without Cause, even King Creel, the Elvis Presley movie we've talked about occasionally on here, where like they're the the kids are always fearing they're gonna become their parents. And with mm-hmm. breaking away, it kind of establishes this trope of the parents wanting to do more for their kids so they don't become them. Yeah, yeah. And and I think you do see a lot, too. I think what, what his character kind of goes through is realizing that there's and, – and you see this a lot, this, this arc for adults a lot in the coming-of-age movie. It's like there's a difference between, like, wanting success for your kid and, like, wanting – the best for your kid like yeah like i think this idea that like you when you have a kid and you decide to be this type of parent and you set goals that you want your kids to accomplish and at a certain point you you do have to like take stock and be like do i need to change these goals that i set and a lot of times we see these parents who like hold on to the goals that they've always envisioned for their kids and then it that leads to like it kind of drives a block in between them and that that's kind of what he has this this realizing that like wanting the best for your kid can mean helping them achieve their own goals. And, yeah. uh, and I think that's, that's what he hits here. And that, I, I do think that's something you, you see a lot in these movies is um, the parents being like, I wanted you to do this and this and this. And, and then by the end realizing that like, you know, their kid being happy is the most important thing or whatever. I'd like to be able to stroll through the campus and look at the limestone, but I just feel out of place. You guys still go swimming in the quarries? Sure. So the only thing you got to show for my 20 years of work is the holes we left behind. I don't mind. I do. Cyril's dad says he took that college exam. We both took it. How did both of us do? Well, I don't know. One of us did okay. But neither of us... Hell, I don't want to go to college, Dad. To hell with them. I'm proud of being a cutter. You're not a cutter. I'm a cutter. What, are you afraid? Yeah. A little bit. And then there's the rest of the guys. Well, you took the exam. Did all right, didn't you? Yes. Well, that's... That's good. Well, your mom... Your mom will be expecting us home. And we're moving into the 80s. We're not going to cover a movie in the 80s on this episode. And the reason why, we're going to be be doing uh, a John Hughes episode at the end of the month. And I feel like 
John Hughes is going to cover a lot of the 80s coming of age movies. But in the 80s, there was this huge boom and you're having things like John Hughes. You're having the beginnings of, say, like Amy Heckerling with Fast Times at Ridgemont High or Cameron Crowe with things like Say Anything and uh, Footloose even. Like you're getting a lot of different stuff. But we're going to come back to that later on in the month when we talk about John Hughes because he has so many films that came out in the 80s. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to move on to the 90s. Hopefully you're still listening after we just told you we're not talking about the 80s. We're going to move <laughs> on to the 90s and we're going to talk about a film called Can't Hardly Wait. Thomas, what is Can't Hardly Wait about? Can't Hardly Wait is about a house party the night of high school graduation. And uh, it's about a bunch of different people at this party. And uh, yeah, I think it is. It's one of it's kind of like Days Confused. It's one of those movies that like you go back and watch and you're like, oh, my gosh, I know every single person in this movie down to like people that don't even have lines. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of wild to like go back and see it as like this time capsule of like the incoming, the, the late 90s, like freshman class, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the lead character is played by Ethan Embry. You've got Seth Green in a supporting role. You've got Lauren Ambrose in a supporting role. Um Peter Facinelli for the for the Twilight fans out there, <laughs> and then Jennifer Jennifer Love Hewitt as as um, so the Ethan Embry's storyline is that he's had a crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt for all of high school, and yeah. she is like the most popular girl in school, and she's just been dumped by her boyfriend or just broke up with her boyfriend. It's not it's not really clear at first, yeah, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're broke they're broken up, and um, he's decided at this party he's going to try and win her over but what he doesn't realize is everyone else in the school is also trying to win her over that <laughs> night uh yeah weirdly when watching this and, and i don't want to sound like a creep because ethan embry's character can gets a little like weird yeah and like how he's like stalking people or not he's stalking got, ethan embry here's the thing ethan embry is 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 a fantastic character actor that yeah. i think for a little while people tried to make a leading man and his eyes are too crazy to be a leading man. I'm sorry. In the very end, there's this part in the very end when there's just cutting back and forth between like close-up coverage of the two of them when they're about to kiss. And yeah. they, they like cut back to him and his eyes are just like wild. wild. And I'm like, I'm like, do, Amanda, do not kiss him. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's so, but there was, I, I will say this. You've said this before. You're like, Brandon, are you Ethan Embry? The way like, because I, Jennifer Love Hewitt like was like my early crush growing up. So this movie was like a big favorite of mine as a kid. And there's stuff that Ethan Embry says like, oh man, I kind of thought that way in high school. Like, there was parts where like, it's not as creepy like, oh dude, she's eating the same pop tart as me. But I would be like, it's there's no such thing as a coincidence. This is happening for a reason. Yeah. I would be that to my friends. The, this and Barry Manilow song is playing yeah. on the radio. That means I have to talk to her. I, that might be more like. And like I would get that, but like the whole like we eat the same pop tart. No, get the <laughs> hell out of here with that. Like it'd be like the same like we oh someone watches the same movies I love. I have never met someone like that. We're meant to be together. Oh, I was a weird high school kid. Um, but yeah, it's it's that's a little bit relatable. Of like, I think he does it for way too long and has some weird tendencies with it. But that part is kind of like oh the girl like fine like the the girl that you you've loved or you've liked the entire high school career, your last night in town is now like single. And you think like 
oh, she's gonna, she, like, if I tell her how I really feel about her, she's gonna like me. I don't know how believable it is that she doesn't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Like, that wasn't my high school. Like, I pretty much knew everyone in my high school. Maybe I'm just like a, I'm from a weird, like, that's just weird to have. But like, if they were in so many classes together, I just I never get in these in these in these like teen movies how they don't recognize each other when they go to the same school. It just bothers me. Sorry, that's a, <laughs> a random tangent. Um, what were your thoughts on rewatching Can't Hardly Wait? Yeah, so this this is one of those movies. Comedy Central used to show this movie constantly. I think and, yeah, and and it's one of those that I like. I've seen so many times, but but maybe only seen the first scene like twice you yeah. know it's it's like i've never sat down and been like i'm gonna watch can't hardly wait but i turn it on when it's on television yeah and i, I know it super well but uh i it's i love it from it like a casting standpoint just because it is like one of the most insane ensembles i think ever like you <laughs> just the most like these people got like one line and 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 every time i come back to this movie i like recognize someone new and yeah. i could just sit here and like list everyone and and there's some people who are like already famous when they got cameos like melissa joan hart was uh, yeah. was melissa joan hart and they gave her like a cameo role yeah. but i mean you got donald Faison, you've got jamie presley and then you, you start going like deeper into it you got chris owen who's the shermanator in yeah. uh An american, american pie. pie like two he's years just, later he's, he's just stealing stuff in the background yeah, he constantly. has no lines he's just this like <laughs> running visual gag that he keeps like stealing stuff in the background but i mean even stuff like um eric Jason balfour C- uh-huh. eric balfour from six feet under okay is the guy that like licks the the weed brownie off of her face yeah yeah and he's like oh i didn't want to waste any he's got like two lines yeah um jason Jason Siegel pops up. Oh yeah, Jason Siegel. Oh, and the other guy in that scene with Jason Siegel went on to be like a recurring character on Frasier. Um, and I think he's okay. on Bones now. I'm pretty sure that guy's on Bones. And then who was the um, next person you said? Sue? Sarah Rue. Sarah Rue. Sarah. Um, Sarah Rue plays the like hippie girl. And she yeah. went on to have like a very successful TV career. Less than um, perfect, right? That was the yeah. show? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The weirdest one I picked out this time that I had never even noticed before is there's a scene with... All right, so shout out also... Charlie Corsmo plays this this nerd who's like gonna decide he's gonna get revenge on the jocks at this movie. Shout out Charlie Corsmo is like the king of like acting was fun, but I, I want to like have a career. Like just dropped it at like the height. Like Hook, what about Bob? Big gap. Can't hardly wait. Can't hardly wait. And then I'm just done. like I'm out. This was fun, guys. I'm gonna go be a lawyer. Like, but the one I noticed this time. So there's this part where where he he becomes like very popular and he's like there's there's a scene where like three girls like pull him into the bathroom to and and this other girl goes like oh did 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 i just see them go into the bathroom with like whatever his name is and they're like yeah and she's like oh lucky that is she plays um russell's wife in almost famous like uh, no. billy crudup's wife yeah and almost famous when when she like shows up to the to the restaurant and they're like oh he's married like we have to get rid of um kate hudson yeah really what's yeah. what's her, what's her name uh is that Paige moss i pulled oh no liz stalber she's credited as gossipy girl yeah and then there's clea duvall um seth green like hits on clea duvall quickly and she like shuts him down um Selma Blair, I don't even think speaks in this. Like, there's just a shot of Selma Blair at the party. No, she does. I think she does. It's the scene okay. when when uh uh when Mike Dexter is like, "Oh, I heard you guys like 
really like 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 really had a crush on me or whatever and she's just like yeah then you said we were like we were like ugly sluts or what it was something kind of yeah. like very degrading yeah and, and he's like i never said that <laughs> i think she's one of those one of those characters yeah it's wild like so many people in this movie but um yeah i think it's i think it's a really fun uh ensemble movie and and at, you know we've got you've got days confused that's like very slow paced like driving the car this is like very manic frenetically paced and i do think it kind of captures like what a high school party is like everyone's just bouncing around talking to everybody and and the the camera literally will like zoom through and like find the next people that we're going to talk to um it's a lot of fun yeah it has hasn't aged super well like you said there's some like really creepy stuff with ethan Embry, seth green plays like this guy who is like this white kid who's like very into rap culture and yeah uh uses like uh a black dialect in a v- extremely offensive way yeah and it that has not aged well but also you like texted me you're like this is not aged well and i'm like yeah but it also hasn't aged well that like people that is very realistic like you might watch yeah. it now and be like no way people acted like that but well, i'm yeah, like the, no i did the yeah, yeah. late 90s like east coast west coast rap was like had 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 kind of died down but like eminem was starting to come up there were a lot there were way too many white guys acting like that um and he does kind of learn in the movie to like be himself i'd be myself yeah yeah Yeah. but uh but yeah that definitely that if you if you turn it on that that might hit you first as being like oof and there's kind of some like homophobic stuff in this movie like a a big like big time like even the Mike Dexter like uh uh Charlie Crosmo like uh storyline where it's like hey let's get back at him by like taking like pictures of him with a dude that mm. we can like blackmail him with this very very problematic also zero parents in the entire graduation scene no parents whatsoever yeah yeah like we said it's it's either like all parents or zero parents in these movies yeah. and this is a zero parent movie this is zero, even the end when jeremy he was like oh yeah i talked to your dad he said he would be here i was like yeah yeah no one came to see ethan Embry off to like go to boston dude's leaving for the like for seven months basically and they're just like yeah we don't care to see you go also i'm sorry i'm sorry ethan Embry and jennifer love hewitt but your your little long distance last day of high school romance is not more important than seeing Kurt Vonnegut speak at a workshop. Like, get on that train, you can remember. <laughs> That's what you're up. So you're like, I would not leave that. Yeah. Some some of these looking back on some of these things when it's like when when people are, are now like this one, this one hit me and just recently I was watching an episode of Gilmore Girls. And this guy had like offered uh, Lorelai Bowie tickets, and she was like, "Oh, I really hate the guy, so I'm not gonna go." And I'm like, "No, go see David Bowie, please! Like, <laughs> you don't have that much time left with him." <laughs> oh, it was John Hamm, by the way. John Hamm offered her uh, David Bowie tickets, and she turned him down. Yeah, so you would not turn down Kurt Vonnegut to for General Jennifer Love Hewitt. I'm sorry, no, it's not gonna work out. They're not gonna they're not gonna <laughs> stay together. That was another thing too, because like the ending, also kind of like American Graffiti, it has like the ending titles, like what they ended up doing. And what I saw, what I found so weird is they couldn't pick a time frame of like the characters. So it's like with like with uh with like Mike Dexter, it's like oh he went on and did this and like kind of became like a loser basically. Tri Corsmo like ends up being like this huge software engineer and dates a model, but then like with Lauren Ambrose and Seth Green, it's like, oh yeah, they broke up, then had sex in the bathroom, now they're back together, and you're like, wait, that's just like five five minutes into the future, five minutes in the future, we're looking like decades in the future, the other two, and then with Jennifer Love Hewitt and Ethan Embry, it's just kind of like, 
oh, like they wrote each other every day when he was at school. I'm like, did they? Mm-hmm. Did they last? Did they get like you never say they get married or anything? It's just like, oh yeah. Also, it's '98. You guys can like email each other. Like you don't have to write letters. <laughs> like the, the internet is there, especially was, on, on on your college campus. That was another note I made. I was like, wow, I remember when computers used to be nerdy. Like, they're making jokes like, are you just going to go home and, like, be on your computer? I'm like, yeah, what's the deal with that? Like, yeah, that's what every- pretty, Guess what, man? In 10 years, everyone's going to have one in their pockets and they're going to be obsessed with them. <laughs> like, it was just, it's just, it's funny, like, a list, like, like, what is considered, like, nerd culture or uncool when you're like, cool, we do that every day now. Like, certain mm-hmm. things, like, how, like, even just in terms of, like, comic book culture and, like, how pop culture has become, like, some people would say more nerd centric if that's if that's the correct way but like we're like comic books are now like a big huge thing when like back then that's a nerdy thing to like read comic books and and at least in terms of a film world reading comic books being on the computer was like a nerdy thing to do and now it's just like that's the common that's the mainstream any other thoughts on can't hardly wait no i mean i think it's one of those things you and i both that it's one of those movies that hit us it, it came out before we were teenagers but i feel you and i both like got access to it around our teenage years yeah and so it's one of those if you went back as a 16 year old right now and watched this movie you might not be able to connect to it whatsoever no uh, <laughs> you know I, I, who knows I, I think these movies are so dependent on when you see them it's very of its time it's it's i mean i i would put it in comparison with empire records for me in mm. terms of like a time capsule of the era. And also too, it's a film. I like this one more than Empire Records, but it's also a film where you're just like, you realize what it's trying to be, but it's not fully getting there. Like it's trying to be the one crazy night of like Days and Confused and American Graffiti, but it's just not fully reaching those heights. Yeah, and I, I think, I think, and we talked about this with Link later, I think it's because these characters are a little too cartoonish. Like they never feel fully real in the way that, that um, days confused feels completely authentic and and earnest. And like, those are people that you know, kind of thing. I'm sitting in class, enjoying a late breakfast. When suddenly out of all the classrooms in the entire school, she walks into mine. And where does the teacher sit her? Right next to me. Now, up until now, one could write this off to coincidence. But then, she reached into her bag and pulled out a strawberry Pop-Tart, the very same breakfast pastry that I was consuming at that moment. What was I to do? How was I to proceed? Who would like to volunteer to give Amanda a tour of the school? I will. Mike Dexter. That's where I lost her. I had a clear shot and I hesitated. But fate's finally given me a second chance. Well, have fun tonight and be sure to tell everyone how much I'll miss them. You're not gonna go? I can't believe you're not gonna go. Why would I go? What else are you gonna do tonight? Moving into 2010s, we're skipping 2000s. With two movies I really like, uh, but first up, we got Dope, directed by Rick Famuyiwa. He's a Nigerian-American director. He also directed a good movie called The Wood, which also fits in this kind of category, coming-of-age movies. 
of a uh, a, a three guys return for their friends or three guys return because one of them's getting married and they're looking back on their their childhood of growing up in uh i think they're in inglewood as well in the wood dopes about it's this young man malcolm and and his two friends jib and diggy and they're kind of we're talking about this nerd culture we said and can't kind of can't hardly wait where these three are kind of these considered nerds or geeks who are very uh focused on their on their schooling and but they're into like 90s hip-hop and they're into kind of punk rock bands and kind of into like i think anime like they're into a lot of different things into technology and uh malcolm is about to he's applying for uh, for college and his dream school is Harvard University, but he's this kid, he's this black kid from Inglewood who kind of has a, it's going to be difficult to get in because he's kind of being seen as like this, this outsider by them. And so he's applying for that. But while it's happening, him and his three friends go to a party because they befriend this guy named Dom, who's this drug dealer. And at the, at the party, there is a, a raid and people are coming in to like, or people are coming in to get, get the drugs and Dom puts the drugs in Malcolm's bag and Malcolm unknowingly takes it. And he kind of gets tied up in this whole, like kind of drug dealing scheme basically, and ends up having to sell the drugs to make the money for the, the lead, the lead drug dealer. I really like this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I've always liked this movie. It's, it's very stylish, but it has a lot of heart. And it definitely takes a lot of the stuff I've been talking about in terms of the tropes and kind of, it plays them a little bit, puts them in this more like high stakes game. And I know we're talking about how low stakes are better, but like dope feels like it's a mix of a coming of age movie, but also kind of just a little, I don't know. I won't say it's an action film, but there's definitely like action moments in it that are done incredibly well. What were your thoughts on dope? Yeah, yeah, I love Dope. I, I haven't revisited it in a while, but I saw it a few times after, right after it came out, and there was a lot of buzz around it. And it, it, it does feel really fresh, and I think it's, like you said, it takes the tropes and kind of plays with them. I think one of the things it really plays on is the idea that, like, the lovable kind of nerd character that especially John Hughes uh, created, when you when you do take him and put him somewhere that that can be... Um, a little bit more dangerous like Inglewood like he it, it is more dangerous for him to kind of flaunt his nerdiness in this neighborhood that he grew up in and and it's something that comes into play that that he's often written off as a nerd kind of in his area and and he does know some of the local drug dealers and some of the local gangs but they all kind of write him off as a nerd and kind of what you in the end of the movie he his his letter that he sends to Harvard is kind of like hey I can be both like I can be smart about you know i got roped into this drug deal stuff and i I did it the smart way i did it my way Mm -hmm. and i made it work um so it's it's a very unusual lesson for for this kind of movie but i think it it is one of those movies and i think it's the highest compliment you can give as an adult making these movies is to just make the teens feel absolutely real and absolutely capable of anything yeah like it, it does not talk down to these characters and it doesn't talk down to the audience in any way and i think that feels really fresh yeah, I think with Dope and with a few films we're going to talk about, one film we're going to talk about next and also just kind of the the month, is that once we get into kind of these things like Dope and like Edge of Seventeen, where the, the, the movies are smarter, it's never looking down on the kids that are in the film. And it doesn't, it doesn't fully feel like, not all of them, not all of them feel like they're written by an adult who's like 
trying to like redo the, the, the things that happen in their life. It feels very authentic of yeah. what someone would go through. Yeah, and I think we, we'll talk about this more when we do talk about John Hughes, but I think a lot of that owes back to John Hughes where he was kind of the person that was like, these, I'm going to treat these teenagers like adults for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, a lot of the movies now that are stronger take all the strengths from a John Hughes movie, but then also recognize all the tropes that are kind of outdated yeah. and play on those. Yeah. And so he, in a way, like the, the positives and the negatives of his movies have come to both positively influence what we're putting out now yeah because when you're talking about like say like for example the parental trope where like his uh, malcolm's mom is present in this movie mm-hmm. but there's no tension between the two she's a single mother who like drives a bu- bus and like provides for a kid so there's no tension between them but she's also not really an absent parent she's working a lot to put to help uh pay for their life but it doesn't it doesn't do the whole like rebel without cause thing or American graffiti where they're, where they're not present. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we also, we have an adult figure kind of presented to us as a, as an antagonist, but it's, it's yeah. really, I really like the way they do it because it's not cartoonish. It's not like, um, you know, it's not like the principal and Ferris Bueller, like digging around the house. Like he's a, he's, it feels like a very realistic person the, I mean, the whole, the whole world in this movie feels very real and very well realized. But yeah. um, th- that character specifically, I really like in that he is, you, I, it's even weird to call him like an antagonist, but there is some conflict with him. Yeah. But he's a very realistic person. Um, but then there's other parts of the movie that are, are like feel a little outlandish. Like the, with the run in with the rich kids gets a little like slapstick. It's fun. Um, yeah, it's it's really fun fun movie yeah. overall. And also, like I I didn't I, I forgot all about who was in this film when watching it. Zoe Kravitz is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, not a big part, but he's like the bully who keeps stealing his shoes. Yeah, like I was like, oh, Lakeith's in this movie. Great cast. I said I love the visual style of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a director who isn't talked about as much. Rick Famuyiwa is just a a great director in this genre. He's done it a little bit, I think, with The Shy as well on TV. He did some. He, he did two episodes of The Mandalorian. Like he's a guy who, mm-hmm. and for some reason, Dope is the last film he directed. Like he hasn't directed anything yeah. since as a I mean, film. He's been he's been like in contracts Hot. with DC for a while. And he was trying. Yeah, he was, supposed, he was supposed to do Flash at one point, but yeah, for a guy who was able to take a kind of a coming of age story in the '90s with the Wood. And then now with dope is that he's, he was able to like keep the same heart and realism. I felt like that was present in that movie and then do it like two decades later. Yeah. And it feels very fresh and it feels very realistic. Like the visual style and everything feels current. Like it's one of those, we've talked a lot about, you know, if you set it in the past, how to make that feel right. And this is, and it's hard to do one that's set in the present and feel absolutely current and fresh and young. And this one does. If I pass, I'll go to, El Camino or Santa Monica or something. Transfer to Dominguez or Northridge. You shouldn't sell yourself short. You could do better. <laughs> you hardly know me, so I couldn't say that. And just tell. You shouldn't settle for what's expected. Like Dom, right? Uh... <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Don't try and be slick. 
You're trying to block him. So you two, <laughs> you, you it's guys. It's complicated. But trust me, he's got nothing on you. You probably got all the girls lined up asking you to prom and shit. Making fun of me? No, no. I'm sorry. Hey, I didn't go to my prom. You didn't go to your prom? Seriously. I had one guy ask me. Anthony Davis. And he fucking stood me up. I didn't even care about missing prom. I was more mad about not going to Six Flags the next day. <laughs> one of my friends had dates. I didn't want to go alone. Do you want to go to prom with me? <laughs> I mean, I, I know that I'm not complicated or, but. It's just with studying and all. I don't think I'll have time. But thank you. And now on to the edge of 17. Thomas, what is the edge of 17 about? Edge of 17 is about a young girl named Nadine, played by Haley Steinfeld, who is going through a very tough time. Um, it literally, I think the opening line is like, I'm going to kill myself. Um, but uh, she, her best friend, who is played by Haley Lou Richardson, uh, hooks up with her twin brother, who she does not get along with whatsoever, and they start dating. And she goes and Nadine goes into this like spiral because that was her only friend in the world. That was the only person she socialized with, period. Yeah. And she just doesn't know what to do with herself afterwards. Um, and I I love this movie. I saw it, I think, I think like opening weekend in theaters because I had read this incredible review in Variety that was like, this is the teen movie. Um, and it, it does it very well. I've seen it three times now and I've it's it's. I've grown to appreciate what it does do very well, um, which is, kind of, I mean, it's almost like a twist. I don't want to call it the, a, a twist in the movie because it's its something that just kind of comes eventually over the movie. But the, it opens with Nadine narrating the first act and the narration goes away. And what you come to realize throughout the movie is she is an extremely self-centered person. And you start to, throughout the movie, you slowly start to get the the lives of other people around her. But for the first like half of the movie, we're only seeing her and we're not seeing anybody else when she's not around. And I think that what it does incredibly well is it shows how self-centered we all I think we all are as teenagers. Like and it's hard not to be, but like everything is about you. You yeah. know, you're experiencing life your life is coming at you like incredibly fast and it's that everything is is bigger than you and and everything has to be about you and what this movie does really well is it it drops us in with her and says like she's the narrator listen to everything she says and as we watch the movie we slowly start to realize that like she's wrong about a lot of things um she she has like she's formed the wrong opinions about her mom after her dad's passing about her brother the way that her brother lives and she's very like shut off from other people emotionally she does she's not good at like detecting other people's emotions and she only acts on her own yeah and so it 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 like it makes it sound all kind of twisty and it's not really presented as a twist but the way the movie goes along we yeah. come to realize by the end of it we come we realize like with her that she needs to be more open to yeah. other people's viewpoints and other people's experiences 
And I think what's really strong about this movie is, is it's ne- there's never a moment in the beginning, you know, like a Christmas carol, and it's like, this is Scrooge, and he doesn't care what anyone thinks. Like, they yeah. never give us that. We have to realize it over the events of the movie and kind of go with her. And I think that is... I think it captures something about the teenage experience that like nothing else has really gotten in that. It's like, we're all kind of assholes when we're teenagers, but it's not awful. We're not awful people, but it, we need to like listen to other people and, and recognize what other people are going through. That's about, that's, that's a good catch. And when you bring it up, you're right. Is that I, I'm thinking back of, of, as the movie progresses, she begins to find out more about like her teacher and like the same when she walks into his home and she's like, Oh, that's a baby. He goes, Oh, how'd that get here? <laughs> yeah. Woody Harrelson's like, amazing. Woody Harrelson's amazing. Even to the point of like, he's like, I get 20 minutes every day to not deal with kids. And you're coming here every day to talk to me. Let me have my time. And she's just mm-hmm. like, but this, this is a me problem. I need help with like, what's going on with me. And yeah, she's very, at first, very unaware of the lives the people around her and you mm-hmm. you get like little you're right you get little things as you go on like when she goes to the the guy that kind of has a crush on her and he she's like oh like you're rich like he goes yeah did i tell you he, she's like no he's like, i always try to tell everybody it's like yeah may, maybe because you're all she was always kind of like talking and not really and when you, and also too when bring that up she never really when he first talked to her she never really asked questions to him mm-hmm. like she lets him ask the questions to her and it's just kind of like I don't really care. Yeah. There's a scene where she's like, tell me about yourself. And he's about to start. And she's like, wait, 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 let me guess. And she like lists off all this stuff about his, his parents. Um, but even this, this last time rewatching it, even in the editing early on in the movie, it's cut to just be, if she's in the scene, we're there. And then when she leaves, we leave. Yeah. And, and then the editing kind of slowly starts to let the scenes breathe where she'll like leave the scene and we'll get to see how, the other character reacts to her when she's out of the room. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, really subtly done, but I think it's, it's, it's really strong in creating this, like it, it gets you into her bubble. We all have these bubbles when we're teenagers and the movie is really good at like getting you into her bubble and then popping it on both of you later on in the movie. Uh, what, what, what genre tropes are in this? Like what other genre tropes are in this movie? I mean, there's absolutely the like parent, uh, yeah. relationship very early on we're told that she was she's always been tight with her dad her dad is just presented as this like way too amazing guy like you're yeah. watching the movie and you're like this guy can't he can't survive this movie because he's too good of a father <laughs> um but she's never gotten along with her mom and her dad always was the, kind of the mediator and then her dad dies very early on in the movie and we see just this this rift between her and her mother and her brother because she always felt like her dad was the only one who got her um so so through a lot of the movie um she and her mom just cannot see eye to eye whatsoever which is something we've been talking about and and like mentor figures not a lot of the ones we've talked about here have them but there are throughout the the genre if you were to dig deeper there are a lot of these like mentor figure tropes and and the woody harrelson character really plays on that like throughout the movie all he does is he's just kind of like i don't want to hear it I don't care. Maybe if you were just nicer to people, you wouldn't be having these problems. But then slowly you start to realize like, oh, they're actually really good friends. There's yeah, this great yeah. moment where he's like, she's really upset. And he's just like, you're my favorite student. And she's like, wait, really? And he's like, I don't know. It felt like the thing to say at the time. 
but it, it, it also it, it plays on i think your like our ideas of the kind of like clicks and stuff yeah because we come to like she's like i'm a nerd my best friend is a nerd my brother's a jock like these things we're don't separate mix. yeah we're separate and and then you find out later on that she's the one who's kind of doing that to herself like no one's really excluding her she's she's doing it to herself and there and that there are all these kind of like weird like she ends up one of the last shots is like she she ends up with the the love interest and he introduces her to his like group of like filmmaker buddies like there's all these other things outside of being like a jock or a nerd and she's just like shut herself off from all of it yeah it's it's like she she's a character from like the hughes world who's coming into the modern world of like teens if that makes Mm -hmm. sense like she like it's like she's like trying to be this like ally sheedy and breakfast club type character in a way where she Mm -hmm. just shuts herself off from everyone else there and they're they're not accepting to her in that movie at first and then this movie it's like no we're like it's cool you can come to the party we don't care like yeah i love there's this moment with woody harrelson again where she's like i'm an old soul i listen to old music i wear old clothes all they do is sit on their smartphones all day i'm just not meant to be around these kids and woody harrelson's like have you ever just thought that like of not being a shitty person they might be friends with you Yeah, it's like it's she. It's again. She's created this these kind of images in her head of what, like of the of the teen life she should be having, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And the bre- or the the shift because all these movies that's and we haven't I haven't really brought this up in this conversation, but it's like all of them are going through a shift in their lives in some way. That's what causes the coming of age story. It's it's the applying to college. It's the leaving town. It's the um the big event that could the big race or whatever. And w- with this, it's the, the shift moment is when her best friend sleeps with her brother, where that forces her to reassess kind of everything in her life. And at first she continues down the path of what she, like how she was acting before, but she realized she has to kind of grow up and mature to understand like what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're talking about where she has to realize that other people around her, like, yeah, like, She's thinking her brother is just this terrible person, but in reality, she forgets that like he has so much stress put on him because of like he's now the man of the house because the father died. Look, I don't want to take up a ton of your time, but I'm gonna kill myself. I just thought that someone should know. I don't really know how this works. I'm probably gonna jump off uh, an overpass in front of a semi. So, or a U-Haul, maybe just on a bus. I'm not gonna be a dick and make people watch, but it has to be big. It's gotta be so big that it just, done, kills me, lights out. Cause if it just maims me and I'm like, well then how's that good for anyone? Then I gotta find a nurse to smother me. How am I gonna get across smothering if I'm, we don't need to get caught up in the minutia. I just thought that an adult, so you should know. Wow, this is uh lot to take in, Nadine. I I wish I knew what to say. Well, I was actually just drafting my own suicide note just now. Dear everybody, as some of you know, I have 32 fleeting minutes of happiness per school day during lunch, which has been eaten up again and again by the same especially badly dressed student. And I finally thought, you know what? I would rather have the dark, empty nothingness. I really would. It sounds 
Relaxing. Have a nice life without me, fuckers. You are so going to get fired when I actually do it. Well, not for sure, but I can dream. Okay, real quick, run down the genre tropes that we've kind of, sometimes kind of hinted at, maybe not talked about completely, but but a couple of the ones, Conflict with Parents has kind of been the running theme of a lot of these, or like you're saying, the absence of parents. Sexual repression, very, very uh, big in... Um, and say Rebel Without Cause, and I think later on, and even a little bit in like Edge of Seventeen, mm-hmm. where like she's wanting to have it's it's also this, it's like a sexual oppression and sexual awakening, where like yeah, there's, she's there's definitely to have some sex. weird energy where she's like jealous of her best friend for like having a boyfriend, but also the boyfriend is her brother, so that makes her yeah. feel weird. Like there's definitely yeah. some energy in there, uh, for sure too. And she's kind of like trying to because of that like thinks she has to have sex to like almost be on the same level as the friend in a way so she's like trying to get attention from some guy who works the pet store yeah yeah and then there's the question of like does she want a hookup or does she want a relationship and and exactly yeah it's it's all really i think it's all handled really well feeling we haven't really discussed this really but feeling trapped and wanting to escape is a big theme in this genre i mean with last picture show that was a big thing I think even a little bit with American Graffiti, I think with Breaking Away, it's the same thing of like, what is my purpose? Am I just going to stay in this town? Yeah, I mean, even Rebel Without a Cause, they go and like make their own home kind of thing. Yeah. Where it's like, and 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 they ha- and 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 that scene particularly, they're like they're essentially like making jabs at their parents because they're like talking about, oh, you don't want kids; they're loud and noisy, and they just bother you. I would drown them in the pool or like very like dark, and you're like, oh. They really feel like their parents don't give a don't care about them at all. Making an important decision is a big thing of this of of this genre. With uh, the college decision being kind of the easiest one. One thing we didn't say about dope that they bring up, and I think was a very uh, I don't know if it's a tr- it's a trope. Some I think I think dope handles it nicely, but it's the idea of like a college essay. Yeah, which is like very apparent in so many of these movies, especially in the modern spectacular. Now it's like a, the the kind of narrative uh, device is like yeah. continuing to work on your college essay. Uh, me and Earl and the Dying Girl also does the similar thing where I think it, it, it's him. T- he's telling the story of him and his friends, and and it's that's the kind of like you're saying the narrative arc that you're the narration that you're hearing. But with Dope, it smartly doesn't do that. I mean, I'm not saying it's 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 not a bad it's a bad thing to do, but dope does it in a way where it's not just the the overarching narration, but it's the ending kind of realization where he's putting that's it's putting into words what he's learned in the movie. Um, questionable movies. I'm gonna ask you, and you tell me if these are considered coming of age movies. Spider Man. Yeah. Any of them. Yeah, I think I think that is you know as in as much as Carrie the like the the telekinesis is an example of like puberty i think spider-man is probably the great like because not a lot of the superhero stories they're grown but like the big thing that sets spider-man apart is he's a teenager yeah and his his powers are puberty he's he's becoming a man and he doesn't know how to handle his new physicality i mean i think the i think the first sam raimi really captures that the best like the the awkwardness of it and you know the scene when he's when he's in his room and he's all of a sudden got muscles, you're like, oh, that's a that's a metaphor for puberty, like 100 percent back to the future. Yeah, I think I think if you take especially if you take them as a whole, but the first one especially is about 
understanding your parents. And I think what what Back to the Future does really well. I've I've always heard the story was like Bob Gale was like if I if I went to high school with my dad would we be friends? Yeah. And I think if you boil down Back to the Future, one of the main like lessons of it is you have to remember that your parents were were your age once too, and maybe that can help a teenager relate to them better. Um, so I mean that it definitely speaks to like the parent relationships we've talked about. And then, you know, if you take the rest of them, it's about learning to be more responsible and then learning to be an adult. And especially the second one, it's weird for Marty as a teenager to have to take responsibility for his kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely about growing up and, and, and seeing your parents in a new light and, and gaining more responsibility. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, for stats purposes, because it's because this, this is a big question for our ending stats. Should we count Back to the Future as a whole or or separate movies? Uh, let's count it as a whole, just for the stats. For the stats. Okay. Okay. D- uh, Disney animated films. Someone put that on our uh, thing I posted on Facebook. They said all Disney animated films. Uh, I don't know about all of them. Yeah, there's some. There's some that are for sure. Like uh, Peter Pan. Would I? Would, Peter I would, Pan I would, is I would, one. I think Little Mermaid is one for sure. Yeah. Lion King. Uh, would Beauty and the Beast be considered one? I don't think so. I I don't think I don't think we're we're presented with Belle like needing any of the normal kind of like character needs that we're we're given as like yeah, teenagers. Yeah. But um, would you would you say the Beast is though? Eh, maybe I don't know that I don't know that we like. <laughs> he's I mean, Belle is Belle is our like yeah Belle is yeah, our yeah. protagonist. We're with her like he does he does mature, but also I don't think. I don't think that's presented to us in a way that is like he's a teenager needing to mature as much as it is like a like an Ebenezer Scrooge or something like that. Yeah. My last one. The original Star Wars trilogy. Oh, yeah. Luke starts out as such a snotty little teenager. <laughs> and that, and that, I was supposed to go pick up power converters. Okay, there you go. Um, s- moving on to stats. Most popular films all on our Larrybox list, which I think it has like 190 yeah, films. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to be able to guess these. There's too many options to scroll through. Popular, Lady Bird. Lady Bird's number one. Call Me By Your Name. No, I think that was in the top five, though. Okay. I'm, I'm guessing all the Letterboxed ones here. Little Women. No. Booksmart. No. Well, two more guesses. Uh, Moonlight. Moonlight is one of them, yes. Hey. hey. Uh, I don't know. What's the last one? Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. Least popular film. You won't get it. Uh, Coupe de Ville. A movie yeah, you're I have right. to I see. Didn't get that one. <laughs> movie I have to see. Highest rated films. Uh, Call me by your name. No. Lady one, Bird. One, one of them. It wasn't Lady Bird. One of them is in the, in the most popular films as well. Uh, Moonlight. No. Spider Man. Spider Man's number one. Highest rated films on our list. The next two, we have not discussed. All right, yeah, you just gotta tell me these. Uh, the four hundred blows. Oh, okay, letterbox. All right, uh, I see. You. <laughs> Sp- Sp- we don't we don't do foreign films on here because the clips. And we don't, we should probably do a little bit more of them, but the clips, you will not understand. We'll just act them just... out. Brandon and I will act them out in English. <laughs> we'll read the subtitles. Uh, Spider-Man and Spider-Man is the four point four. Four hundred blows is the four point three. The next one. Well, I'll see if you consider this a, a, a coming of age movie, but it is an anime, a Disney animated film at a four point two. Bambi. Did we? Did, it's the Lion King. Did we? Did you say the Lion King? I said the Lion King. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think okay, the Lion King's remember. definitely uh, coming of age one. Okay. Uh, lowest rated films. I will say one of these. I know you were very disappointed in the adaptation of it. Oh. Um. 
I love you, Beth Cooper. I love you, Beth Cooper. Oh, what a letdown. I love that book. The movie is not good. All of the all all four of these is four this time because they're all tied with a two point two. I love you, Beth Cooper is one of them. The other ones, because I don't think you'll get them. Hoot, starring Logan. Uh, Lerman. I love that book too. <laughs> Logan, Logan Lerman and a, and a young Brie Larson. Uh, Crossroads, starring Britney Spears, Zoe Zaldana, uh, and Dan Aykroyd as Britney Spears' father, apparently. Uh, and then the, the the bottom one still a two point two. I disagree with this. Grease two, right at the bottom of the list. Never seen it. I used to not like this movie, and then I was converted, um, and so I defend Grease too. Okay, uh, most appearances. We didn't do this in the theater one, by the way. I forgot to do this. I'll I tell think. you, most appearances from the ones we watched. PJ Souls. Uh, I didn't. I didn't look at PJ Souls. Hold on. She was. She was. She, in, in she was in Breaking Away. She pops very briefly. Up very briefly. Oh man, it's, it's PJ Souls. I watched two. I watched two PJ Souls movies today. Because <laughs> she's because she's in Carrie. Yep. Uh, w- would you consider Halloween uh, a uh, coming of age movie? I don't know. I don't know that that yeah. Laurie really like learns that much in that movie. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not her. Um, I will say one of them. So originally, this, this, these people were tied with four appearances, but Back to the Future has put someone up to five appearances. Is it Leah Thompson? Leah Thompson. Nice. With five appearances, Back to the Future, all the right moves. Some kind of wonderful, the wildlife and space camp. Good for you, Leah Thompson. <laughs> uh, the next person up behind her was Natalie Wood, with four appearances. Uh, okay. Um. So yeah, surprisingly, not like it wasn't like Anthony Michael Hall or any of those. Like Estevez was. I think Estevez was close. I think the one that put him over is Mighty Ducks, a coming of age movie. That's tough. I. I yeah. I don't know. It's, a, it's it's an adult as the main character and he has like a a arc but is that just a regular like dramatic yeah i arc? think it's a regular arc. i don't think the kids have enough of an arc to yeah say they're coming of age that would have put estevez up there because he was in like the outsiders breakfast club san almost fire um so yeah okay biggest year stats wise oof uh 2016 no it's in the 80s oh i, do, I have no idea <laughs> Okay, 1985. What I think it there? was 10 movies. Wow. Let me get, let me get the... Let me, yeah, exactly. So, 1985. We got Breakfast Club, Mischief, Vision Quest, The Sure Thing, The Last Dragon, Seven Minutes in Heaven, St. Elmo's Fire, Weird Science, Real Genius, and Teen Wolf. Wow. There you go. 85. Like Nothing was close. Like nothing, I think went over like six, and it's I think it was a ten for eighty-five. Uh, yeah, crazy eighty-five, big year. We'll talk about that on our John Hughes episode at the end of the month. Uh, last mentions, movies that we haven't discussed that should get a mention real quick. Um, I just want to shout out like a couple more recent ones. I think we're in a really nice like wave of modern coming we of are, age yeah, movies. Yeah. Booksmart is incredible. I think it captures like Gen Z the best of any movie, yep. and it's it's like ridiculous. It's not trying to be like this is what teenagers are like, but also in doing yep. that, it does feel like the most authentic to what they're like, which I really loved. Mid nineties, I loved that mm-hmm. movie. Um, it felt it's felt like the only movie so far that's like captured like m- m- my time period really. Like that's 
the one that's closest to what like my my experience at that age is like because it's set in like middle school and like the late Mm -hmm. 90s um eighth grade is fantastic um and then a little bit further back um kings of summer is a movie i really enjoy and way way back i think they both came out the same year um but both really good at, at just kind of capturing the feeling of like summer and the aimlessness of it but in a fun way yeah i i i love i love both of those films way way back and kings of summer you're right they both came out in 2013 as did the spectacular now which is also a great coming of age yeah, movie I think. another one yeah I, I i concur on book smart um and eighth grade and those films i i love book smart book smart mm-hmm. was like weirdly when i watched it i was like oh that was kind of me like it was the point <laughs> that was the point where i'm like i wasn't much of a partier when i was in high school and i was like more focused on grades and so when those characters find out how like we're focused on grades, like we're not going to parties, and they find out all who go to parties are like in the big high school, like, in the big colleges, I was like, oh, that was my that was my experience. When I, when I, when I <laughs> yeah, found I love out, that. Like, I love that moment when she's like, I studied and I'm going to a great college, and they're like, yeah, we all got into colleges. It's <laughs> like it's so funny. Like where'd you go to? We're going to Harvard. What? And I was like, oh man, that was yeah. A lot of people that I thought about that in high school, they I was very negative, and they were like, "Yeah, doesn't they, isn't Billy Lord like, oh yeah, I'm going to Yale. It was, it was my backup school." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, "Oh, that I, so Booksmart, and and that's that was like weirdly it captured Billy Lord is so good in that movie. She's yeah. incredible. They're, yeah, it's a great cast. It's 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 a uh, Olivia Wilde. I'm really excited to see what she does as a director after that film. Also, I mean, I'll I'll shout out Little Women. Uh, we're going to talk about Lady Bird later in the month uh, with a solo episode, but but Little Women's up there. I really like Mud um, with McConaughey with with uh, with Ty Sheridan. Um, I'm going to throw out an older one that we didn't discuss, uh, find an older one we didn't discuss. I mean, Last Picture Show we we talked about before, and you said earlier. Uh, I'll throw out Stand by Me. If you haven't seen Stand by Me, that's a that's a good one. Oh, this is what I'll say that I just recently watched Juice with with uh, t- with Omar Epps and Tupac Shakur directed by Ernest R. Dickerson. Really good movie. Um, like Dickerson was able to make a we- like almost like a Hitchcock film, but also kind of a coming of age movie like set in uh, essentially kind of in Harlem is what it is of these four friends who kind of end up going separate like going like they end up getting involved in crime and kind of go separate ways then it's 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 a great film streaming pretty much everywhere on prime netflix and hbo max right now um so where should people start it's a big genre (laughs) it's a big 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 genre yeah i i mean i think i think it's i think it's tough to pinpoint exactly when i think I think it's best to, if you really want to study the genre, I would say go back to a movie that you saw when you were like 15 and that stuck with you, especially if you haven't been back to like revisit it. Or even if it's one you watch a lot and you just, you, you go back and, and look at it from like a genre studies standpoint and then, and then kind of build off of there. But I, I definitely think you need to start with the ones that felt formative to you, because I think that's where you'll find the strongest connection. Yeah. And it, it's interesting as an adult to look back at those and see how they affected you in your, yeah. in your growth. Um, I mean, I, I, there's definitely stuff from almost famous that I've like taken into my life. You know? Yeah. You know what? They're, they're, Cause we're uncool, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm always around. I'm uncool. Like, 
I think there, there, you'll you'll start to like recognize the life lessons you took from like whether it was like Clueless was your movie, yeah. or like you know now and then, or you know Sandlot. Like go go back and, and rewatch them as an adult and see like what struck you as a kid, what strikes you now as an adult. I think that's the best way to really like approach these. And then you can start digging a little bit deeper into this list yeah, yeah. of ones that might be from that same time period or might be from the same writers, that sort of thing. So, yeah. So, guys, we have a couple of good episodes planned for you this month. One is to be announced, I will say right now, because we got five weeks in July. There's some ideas we're tossing around um, that we'll come back to. Hopefully, the plan is next week we're going to do Splendor in the Grass for our classic film. And then... I don't know what week it's going to be, but we're going to be doing Lady Bird as kind of our contemporary film. And then our final episode of the month will be on John Hughes. So it's going to, and that's a deep dive. Well, that's going to be a hard one because he has a lot of films that he was involved in. I think the big, I think he's the biggest filmography of anyone we covered, by the way. So we're going to have to pick and choose some of the stuff we cover and, and not cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he directed eight films, like wrote like almost upwards of 20 films. So it's going to be difficult. So, yeah, guys, make sure you subscribe to us on our podcast, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and read our stuff on Medium. Yeah, I think that's it. Thomas, as always, thank you so much for coming on. And we're gonna, we got a fun month of coming-of-age movies to discuss. Yeah. And, guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.